For our message, I'd like to uh, share a prayer with you. It comes to us from Romans 15. It says this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That so by his power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. We're continuing on in our sermon series that talks a little bit about uh, what the Holy Spirit does for us today, the idea of being enlightened by his gifts. And the way I'd like for you to think about that is that the Holy Spirit is our divine navigator. He's our guide. You and I are living in anxious times, and for me to even say that is a little bit of an understatement. We've... uh, Now, two years into a pandemic that we thought would end soon, and and we've been saying that for quite a while. Inflation rates are at the highest that they've been in 40 years. We are on the verge of maybe World War III with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. We have new vocabulary that we use on a regular basis, things like supply chain issues, Right? Shelter in place, those are terms that we weren't using a couple of years ago, but, but we are now. Anxious times indeed. And uh, I was reminded this past couple of weeks that our children are not immune. We have the, the joy in a, in a couple of weeks of uh, hearing eighth grade students profess their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and they'll use their confirmation verse and they developed a statement of what they believe about Jesus based on that verse. And I get to work with 10 of the students this year. Seven of the 10 students that I'm working with, their confirmation verse mentions something about anxiety. Cast your fears or anxieties on him. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Anxiety. Our kids are experiencing it. And we do not know what the toll of all of this is going to be. And there's going to be a long-term toll. And and we just need to be mindful of that. Anxiety. Fear. Doubt. What do we do when we are experiencing that? For you and I who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are invited into a a safe place like this, a a sanctuary, a safe harbor, where where we can be strengthened and, 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 and nourished through the Holy Spirit, by God's word and sacraments, to be anchored in our souls as we look to the work of the cross that Jesus did there for us. To know that we have a reason to have hope and to have confidence because the God who is the same yesterday, today, and always has promised to see us through. And if we journey with our Lord to the cross, it will take you to a story that happens when Jesus is in the upper room. He knows his disciples are going to be experiencing one of the hardest, most anxious times in their lives in the coming hours. And what he says in John 14 strengthens them and should also give us a reason to have hope and confidence. In John 14, verse 9, Jesus says, Because I live, you will live also. And then he goes on to say it this way. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit that the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. 
Let not your hearts be troubled, let not them be afraid. Those should be words that Jesus is speaking to his disciples that should give us courage. And not only courage, but, but confidence. Because we have the risen Christ in our midst. But yet fear and, and doubt and, and anxiety, they creep in from time to time. And anytime our body experiences fear, anxiety, or we perceive a threat, whether it's real or imagined, our brainstem kicks in. And we go into this autonomic response where we either fight, we claw our way through, we, we, we tack on that, that threat, or we run. So it's called fight or flight. And, and what happens is we get this adrenaline rush, and, and for short durations we can do things that we never thought we could do before. Right? It's amazing what our body is able to do in those situations. But the problem is it's only meant to be a short duration, and you and I in anxious times have been experiencing this for far too long and we're exhausted. We're worn out. What do we do? Where do we go? That fear obscures our vision. It, it takes away our opportunity to see hope. And, and that's this idea of the unveiled life, right? We need someone that's going to help us see that we're not alone through the storms, as the storms rage. And, and we need the reminder, and, and we have that. God, over and over again, points us to his work. He actually, today in the gospel lesson that I chose, talks about a storm, literally. The disciples out on the water, Jesus asleep in the boat, right? The disciples are trying to use their own navigational skills to see them through this, whatever it is, this tempest. And they're overwhelmed. The water is filling the boat. They wake up Jesus and they say, Master, we're perishing. And Jesus gets up and in a moment, there's calm. And as we read that, we're reminded that that Jesus has the wheel. And you and I are, are invited into a ship of faith that will not sink. Oh, it may be taking on water from time to time, but it won't sink. Jesus made sure of that. So that's the hope that we get to have as, as we look to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We, we get the gifts of things like forgiveness and, and mercy and compassion and everlasting life and we can come to a place like this and be reminded of that. But it points to a role that, that we have as a, as a collective, the, the church, the, the very organization that, that God established long ago to be in the business of, of sharing his word. And, and, and I'm going to propose to you a, a thought process, and I'm going to reflect on the role of the church now for the next little bit. And I'd like to propose to you, and I'll explain it in just a little bit, that the church has been operating under the mindset of shelter in place for decades. And we don't like that term, shelter in place. It drove us nuts when we were forced to do it but the church is willingly doing it for decades. And they're not using words like shelter in place. We're using words like we need to insulate and protect ourselves from the influences of the outside world. Because 
There are some things that are in the outside world, some things in the culture that are bad, and some of those things are labeled as Christian, and we do not want that creeping in and and wrecking what we have. And so the tendency for conservative Bible-believing churches, and I'm not talking about LCMS, I'm talking about the, the gamut, The tendency is for for conservative churches to isolate and protect. We do not want to be like those that throw out everything of the gospel truth and and whatever it is, it's just going to be. No. We insulate and we protect. And I'd like to suggest to you that we cannot sustain that. There's no life in sitting still. There's, there's life in movement. There's no life in lowering our sails and, and battening down the hatches and, and praying for safety. There's no life there. It's just a survival tactic. And God would want us to have our sails filled with the Holy Spirit so that by joy and peace and believing through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have hope and we can be agents of hope. So we don't want to be way over here. We don't want to be way over here. Somewhere in the middle where God operates. We want to be engaging the culture. And folks, that's what we've been doing for years. Can can I give you a little picture of the state of the church lately? So back in 1847... The Lutheran Church was founded, and this is part of their history, okay? Back in 1847, the the Lutheran Church was founded. There was a group of people from Germany that were being told that they can only worship a certain way. And they said, no, that's not in truth, in spirit. And so they were able to come to the United States. And a group from Saxony settled over in Missouri. There was another group that had a different idea that I'm going to share in just a little bit. The group from Saxony said this, we need a church for the German immigrants, a safe place for them. You and I are the fruit of a different version and a different vision. There was another group from Middle Franconia that came in 1845 they were given a vision by a gentleman named Wilhelm Ley, who sent a pastor named August Kramer and 15 settlers to a place called the Saginaw Valley to establish a community with a noble goal in mind. Not to just build a church for the German immigrants, but to reach out and connect with people that had no concept of the triune God. They were here to minister to the Chippewa Indian. And did they do it perfectly? No. And, and when they got here, they met with culture shock. And some of the, the, the conversation that is recorded is just like, whoa, that's scary with our, our eyes and lens today. They actually said that about them? That's just bad. Right. But they were ministering to a people that had no concept of sin. They didn't even know what sin really was. They didn't even know that they needed a savior. And they had a vision for getting the word out. And and Leahy, 25 years later, says, well, nothing went according to plan, but God still blessed us. I got that from Herman Zender's Teach My People the Truth. The LCMS was on on the growth, though, because of people like that saying, we need to be more than about ourselves. 
And so for years, from 1847 to 1917, the church, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, was enjoying growth. They were adding congregations by the day, one or two a day, for years. And we went from a small band of 12 congregations to thousands in a short period of time. Actually, by 1970, there were 2.7 million people that claimed the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod as their home place of worshiping. That was the peak. And then something changed. There started to be a decline. And over the last 50 years, that decline has shown fruit. And now we worship about 1.9 million as of 2020. 800,000 souls no longer call the LCMS home. Why? I was doing a little bit of digging into this. And one of it is the, the idea that the generations that are coming up behind me, the, the millennial generation and the uh, gener- generation Z, so millennials, they are those that um, 23 to 38 Okay, years of age. The Generation Z are are those 13-year-olds that I talked about at the beginning of the sermon all the way up to age 25. They do not trust institutions. They don't. They see the institution of the church as being out of touch with the times and or a group of people that gather together and sit in judgment and point at the wrongs that other people are doing. That's the perception that they have, whether it's real or or imagined. They don't trust us. But you know something? Jesus actually said this is the way it was going to be. He he, he gives us that in in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. He says it this way. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge and the living of the dead, And by his appearing in his kingdom to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And from time, that time when it's coming, there's going to be a place when people will not endure sound teaching. They'll have itching ears and accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Pastor Timothy, and the church, be sober-minded, Endure suffering and do the work of the evangelist in all ministry and mission. Fulfill it. Insulate and protect takes that scripture passage and it does this. Preach the word in season and out of season. Exhort, reprove, and, and, and rebuke. Period. We skip over the part that says with complete patience and teaching. What's Jesus encouraging us to do here? To engage the culture with patience and teaching. The gospel. The good news. It's, it's doing life with people. It's, it's getting the chance to share Jesus and, and the world needs Jesus and we as the church don't need to be weird about sharing Jesus. And I was given an example of that as I was looking through uh, an article that talked about why does Gen Z not want to willingly come through these doors? 
and there was a survey that was taken right around the lockdown time for COVID. Of those kids that identified as being a part of a church, only 2% of them reported having a religious leader reach out to them and ask them if they were okay. Folks, it's scary. And, and I have to own my part of that. But the reality is, as we, as the church leadership, cannot bear this on our own. We need the, the collective body to do this. We need the collective body. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to, to just get out there and engage the culture. And all we're trying to do is do life with people and show people that they matter. And we can start it with our kids. And, and in the survey, it, it talks a little bit about it this way. It says, so what are you saying? Are, is, is the mission to maintain the institution or is the mission to go out and engage young people where they are? And the person who did the survey said, yes. God established the church. This is his being. The ship of faith will not sink. He will not let that happen. But he wants to empower the church to raise its sails through the power of the Holy Spirit to be out there. The church can be a safe harbor, but we don't want to just be locked in here. We want to be out there doing life with people, showing them how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. We take a play out of our history all the way back to the 1845, and we see what they were doing they were out in the frontiers teaching people that did not know who Jesus was or sin was. Folks, we have to do the same thing now. It's a frontier out there. There are people that do not know what sin is, that do not know that they need a savior or to be saved from it. They're good people. And we can go out and do life with them and show how beautiful it is to live with Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now